podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I am your host, as always, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. Yeah, we were off on Thursday of last week. We had some scheduling issues. We'll figure it out. We'll have a baseball guest, I promise. I swear. I know. This is why I don't like teasing guests ahead of time, because every time I do that, that's what happens is things fall apart. Anyways, the past is the past. My usual Monday cohort, Andy Mitch, joining me today. Uh, before we get to our big interview for today, which is a discussion about Big 12 softball, Andy and I need to talk about um, about the, the big hoops storylines in the Big 12, uh, looking back at the weekend that was and to the week ahead. Andy, uh, I want to start with, look, if you just look at the at the outcomes from Saturday, all five home teams won. Oklahoma State with a very nice win over Texas Tech. Um, TCU kind of coming from behind, getting a, a win over Kansas State. I, uh, Kansas beating Oklahoma, nothing surprising there. Baylor with a, with a pretty solid win over West Virginia. I know that game kind of got ended in an 11-point game, but Baylor had a, had a comfortable lead for a while. And then Iowa State beating Texas. And, and that's the game I want to talk about because normally Iowa State beating Texas at home, not that big a deal. Ames is what it is. And, and Iowa State's always a, a difficult team to team to beat at home but this is an Iowa State team that just lost Tyrese Halliburton for the season and I don't let me let me let me make sure I, I state this correctly Tyrese Halliburton isn't just the best player on Iowa State's team he's the only really good player on Iowa State's team and that's not a shot at Iowa State it's not a bad they're not but they're not a good team I'm, I'm sorry they're not a good team and not only did they beat Texas but they did so embarrassingly by almost 30 points 29 point win 81 to 52 at this point, I, in a season where Texas has lost games by 29, 38, and 22, Texas is 14 and 11, and Shaka's already been on a hot seat. Realistically, do you, he, he can't be there at the end of the season, right? I know he's got like a $13 million buyout, 
And but <laughs> guys, come on. I this is this is bad. That was embarrassing. That was that was absolutely an embarrassing loss for Texas and Shaka Smart on Saturday. Oh, I mean, yeah, there's no other way to say it. I actually had tweeted right after I saw that score because I didn't get to watch the game. Um, and I actually had talked with uh, with, with Levi Stevenson over at Wide Right Natty Light um, on my podcast to to talk, you know, kind of preview what was coming up. But obviously that was kind of the main topic um, was Iowa State just completely destroying Texas. And he was very, very quick to point out Texas, you know, was without Jericho Sims. Um, I didn't watch the game, but from my understanding, there was an issue with Matt Coleman getting injured during the game. Um, and that may or may not be actually be correct. Um, you know, they're they're missing um, Febris, I, I think is how you say his last name. Like they're missing quite a few pieces. And while, you know, if you want Shaka to stick around or you don't want to pay that buyout, then that is a convenient excuse, you know, to allow them to kind of say, look, you know, obviously it's a really bad loss. You don't want to have to deal with any of those types of things. But if you're losing three key contributors from your team, even though Iowa State is losing, um, you know, ha- or has lost Halliburton, like Iowa State has some guys that can shoot. They don't they haven't been able to do it consistently this year. Um, but, you know, if, if Iowa State just kind of has one of those games, like it's definitely possible that they can jump up and get someone and they just happen to get Texas. I personally I'm wondering why Shaka's still there and like the buyout is the only reason that I can think of, you know, or as I tweeted, um, you know, I, I'm starting to wonder what kind of dirt he has on the Texas ad- ad- administration, the fact that he is sticking around at this point. So, you know, I'm not sure like they're going to be any more motivated to get rid of him unless there's an absolute mutiny from the fans. But this is Texas fans that we're talking about who don't really seem to care too much about basketball until they can consistently make the Big 12 tournament and then not get very far and have unrealistic expectations about what Texas basketball is supposed to be. So, um, you know, as, as actually, as, as Levi had said earlier, it's like, you know, Texas should be looking at this, you know, this, this Rick Barnes guy who, uh, you know, is doing really well at Tennessee and did really well at the school before that. So, uh, yeah, that's gotta, that's just gotta sting. So, so bad. But I mean, if you want to try and make excuses for one game, I mean, I guess you could. It's still a 30-point loss. I understand that you want to nitpick that their losses. But, I mean, Texas, that that, that is a that is awful loss. They've lost four in a row now. They're 4-8 and eight in Big 12 play. And the only four wins they have are over Kansas State, Oklahoma State, TCU, and Iowa State. And no offense, but those are not wins – to even be like, let me see, we we got we at least got these wins. Oh, come at it from the viewpoint of of the how the committee views things. It's not about it's about who you beat, not who you didn't lose to. But we can point out some of the losses too. You again, you've lost by 38, 29, and 22 this season. Like oh yeah. And it's not like this is a one season thing. We're in year five of Shaka. And outside of year one, which was a 20 and 13 season, 11 7 in the Big 12, fourth place finish, and, and a first round exit. They, this has not been, this has not been what he was brought in to do. And after firing a guy who was as successful as Rick Barnes was at Texas, and who's now doing what he's doing at Tennessee, it only looks makes that decision look even worse. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. Don't don't read my comments as me thinking he should be sticking around. Um, or, you know, trying to say that Texas is actually a decent team. Like, there is plenty of reasons to get rid of Shaka. And, you know, Texas, like, if you look at Ken Palm, Texas is the third worst team in the Big 12 ahead of only TCU and Kansas State. And, you know, like, if <laughs> those 
honestly, I mean, man, look at how far TCU has fallen off. Um, but, you know, like there are some other bad teams in the Big 12. Iowa State is definitely one of them, um, you know, especially when when you consider that their only good player, like like you said, is done for the year. Um, and, and Iowa State fans are the first to admit that, you know, so it's like it's not like like they're being delusional about it. You know, this is not an instance where Iowa State fans should, you know, revolt against the podcast like they have in times past with our with our football commentary. But, um, <laughs> you know, this really, I think, solidifies the fact that there are really only five Big 12 teams that have a shot at making the NCAA tournament as an at-large. Um, anyone else that wants to go dancing, um, and to be honest, at the rate that we're going, any other team that wants to go to the NIT um, really is going to have to have a very strong showing in the Big 12 tournament. Um, like, looking at these teams, the only one that I think that is in the bottom half of the Big 12 right now that has a shot to making the NIT even would be Oklahoma State, and that's if they can go on a hot streak. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is this is like the bottom of the Big 12 has kind of fallen out. Not all of that is is because they're bad teams, but literally just because, um, you know, I mean, I'm, some of them is because they're bad teams. Other ones have just had very, very poor injury luck. No, I, I mean, I do think TCU and Texas have shots at the, at the NIT. You look at Texas' schedule the rest of the way, TCU at Kansas State, West Virginia at Texas at Oklahoma, at Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. If Texas continues, if, look, if Texas loses to TCU this week, then I think we can say this this has fallen apart. It's going to end ugly enough. I mean, it's already bad, but it could actually end ugly enough. If you're a Texas fan who wants Shaka Smart out, and you are a, a, a an administrator at Texas, or you're within the athletic department, or you're a booster, and you want to get rid of Shaka and feel like, he, he, we need a, a better reason. Like if he loses to TCU and this this spirals because they're already on a four game losing streak, if they lose to TCU at home, they might this this season might completely fall apart, and then you absolutely have your justification for doing it. Uh, I I don't want to sit here and just turn this into the shock of uh, no start. no. But one last thing, real low key, um, huge game in the Big Twelve this week that I was not actually thinking about that TCU Texas game. Whoever wins that game has probably a legitimate shot at staying above 500 and going to the NIT. Whoever loses that game probably does not, which was absolutely crazy to think that how that, you know, how important that game is for either of those teams to be able to go to the postseason. Glad you brought that up. So I, let's, let's wrap up you and I's chat with looking ahead to the week and, and talking about the big games. Obviously the biggest one is, is the biggest one we've been waiting for. Kansas and Baylor part two is this Saturday at 11 a.m. on ESPN, Kansas traveling to Waco Baylor, Got the win in the first meeting in Lawrence. Baylor does not have a conference loss. It's Kansas's only conference loss. And the impact of this game is that the Big 12 regular season title is potentially on the line. Because let's be honest, once that game is over, there's four games left in the regular season for both teams. If Baylor wins, they're the Big 12 regular season champs. I mean, that's that's just it. Because Kansas would need Baylor to lose twice just to try and have a, a tiebreaker and try and co-win, even though I... I don't I don't agree with um, shared titles when when one team swept the other, but I'd say La Vie, we can debate about that other time. This is a big game, and I, and since you're a Kansas guy, I'm, I'm curious for your perspective. How do you feel about the Jayhawks uh, headed into this game on Saturday? Well, you know this this Kansas team has played phenomenally on the road. They are doing really well defensively. Um, they are locking teams down, and Marcus Garrett seems to have kind of found himself offensively which is not something like that's probably the biggest shocker of the entire season 
Um, now, whether that's going to be sustained or not is an, is a really big question. But, you know, a lot of people will point to that game in Lawrence between the two teams. Um, but I have a hard time really drawing a lot of big conclusions from that other than Baylor is definitely a talented team that's going to be an absolute dogfight. I can see either team winning. I can see, honestly, I could see either team winning by seven or eight points, like legitimately winning by seven or eight points. Um, but I, like, I really don't know what to expect from this one. The reason I'm, I'm having a hard time drawing any firm conclusions from that game in Lawrence is because Devon Dotson was out of that game for a good 20 minutes at least. And when he came back, you know, like he was only effective in that game for probably about seven or eight minutes, got injured, tried to come back, didn't play very well when he came back. And you could tell how much that affected the Jayhawks. They are now a much better team, a much more well-rounded team. Um, you know, they have other guys that can step up. And I think guys like Marcus Garrett, Christian Brown have really kind of, or and, and even Isaiah Moss have really come into their own. That being said, I am definitely still worried about Baylor. They have the front court to contend with Kansas down low. Um, what I have to worry about at this point, you know, is are, you know, who is going to be able to stay out of foul trouble? Who is going to be able to, to assert their dominance? Baylor has have been having all kinds of issues. And, you know, you actually brought this up in, in our discussion before we started recording. You know, Baylor has a tough test against an Oklahoma team um, that has been a little bit more salty than I think most people expected them to be this year. Baylor has not been playing well on the road for the most part. Um, and they have definitely had a lot more close calls, even at home as well. And so if I had to put money on it, I would probably bet on Kansas winning but probably a very, very close game. Um, you know, I would not be shocked to see that Kansas and Baylor share the title at 17 and one uh, over the year. And then it comes down to a committee debate about who should get the overall number one seed, you know, and, and whoever should get the overall number two seed between those two teams. And it comes down to whoever actually wins or goes further in the big tall tournament. Yeah. Like understand, understand this is Baylor is one of the best teams in the country. So is Kansas. This is a huge 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 game like this is a, a matchup of two potential number one seeds come to uh, selection sunday so this is a huge game on saturday i am very excited for it. and you 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 sneak peeked my little nugget there what, what we happened to a lot is that you know people could start looking at the big game come saturday and we we look past something along the way now look i I'll, to be fair obviously kansas plays iowa state in lawrence on monday night uh, that's Sorry, like that's that feels like a very comfortable Kansas win. But Tuesday, Baylor has to travel to Norman to face Oklahoma. And Oklahoma is not great by any stretch of the imagination. But Oklahoma at home, where they have done a very, very good job in conference play and this season, is good enough to to upset a Baylor team who isn't playing as well as they were a few weeks ago, which is, you know, literally comparing like, an avocado right before it's ready to eat to an avocado when it's ready to eat. It's, you know. But OU is absolutely good enough to take this win on Tuesday night. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to, but you look at that game in Norman and go, is that is the, that is the definition of a true trap game. Okay. Now, we I think we overstate like trap games and things like that a little bit too much as, as viewers, which is a little bit of a disservice to players, like they're not paying attention. But that game on Saturday is so big. There's so much on the line for it. You could see Baylor maybe not look past Oklahoma, but not be as 100% focused on it as they need to be. It's a, it's a game I'm I'm very intrigued by on Tuesday night because it it if Baylor drops that one, Kansas absolutely no longer has to sit here and just fight for a potential tie. 
they can go into that game against Baylor and Waco and go, we win this, we can win the Big 12 outright. And so that's as big as Saturday is, Tuesday night to me is a is also a big game for Baylor and for their goal for the season. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely is. You know, um, Kansas has already gone to Oklahoma. They've already gone to West Virginia and won in both of those locations. So there's definitely a lot of pressure on Baylor to be able to go win on the road. Obviously, they have the biggest road win of the year so far in Lawrence. Um, but, you know, Kansas has two very legitimate good road wins so far as well. And so, you know, it's really going to come down to can Baylor keep pace offensively on the I'm sorry, on the road. Can they keep pace with that? Um, yeah, I didn't mean to kind of steal the nugget from you. I didn't realize that you were going to or it, I was worried that you weren't going to get to it. So I want to at least get it in there and get the conversation <laughs> in there. Um, but, you know, I mean, really. The other thing about it, too, and the, the other reason why, you know, we, we, we talk about trap games, because the idea of a trap game is that there is a game that could still be difficult, but is less important than the game that is coming up. You know, even if they were to drop the game against Oklahoma, that game on Saturday is huge because it's either going to put them solidly back in the lead or they can, you know, potentially drop down into a tie or worse. And so no matter what happens against Oklahoma, that game is still going to be important. The guy, you know, the, the Baylor Bears are still going to be looking at that game on Saturday and potentially looking ahead a little bit. Normally, I wouldn't say that that was a big deal because Baylor is supposed to be a much better team than Oklahoma. But we've already seen them at home against Oklahoma State, on the road against Oklahoma State. Like we've seen them in games where there are a much better team fail to either take the game seriously enough or fail to execute well enough to, you know, blow the teams out that they are supposed to be blowing out. And so a team like Oklahoma, who plays really well at home and has a lot of really good weapons that really could challenge them, has a legitimate shot to win this game. And so, yes, it is the definition of a trap game. Like, it is definitely something I could see them buying into the hype of what's coming up against Kansas and maybe not giving it their best effort. But as we've seen, even if they're giving a very good effort, the way, the style of game that they play allows a lot of teams to hang in there until the end and they just out tough them at the end. And so I don't know if they're going to be able to do that at, at, on the road against Oklahoma. This will go a long way to determining whether they are going to be able to win the Big 12 outright this year. The other thing for Baylor I would say is if you're Baylor and you look at the schedule the rest of the way after this big matchup with Kansas, Baylor has the tougher road. They they are they are in a better spot to beat Oklahoma, beat Kansas, and feel better heading into the last four game stretch than Kansas. Kansas, after Baylor, gets Oklahoma State at home, at Kansas State, TCU at home, and then at Texas Tech. So that at Texas Tech game is the last one you look at and go, okay, obviously Kansas State on the road. You know, we're going to talk about that one after what happened last time these two teams met up. But looking at that schedule and the teams on it, you look at one game on the road at Texas Tech and go, that's that's the last one where you really feel like they may get tripped up. For Baylor after Kansas, you get Kansas State at home at TCU. You're going to play Texas Tech at home, and you're going to go to West Virginia. Much more difficult stretch, especially the last two games for Baylor than Kansas. So for Baylor, I think there's even more pressure to try and, and beat Oklahoma this week, beat Kansas, wrap up the Big 12, knowing that if you have that sweep in your in your bag, you you can afford a trip up down the stretch if one comes up uh, more than say because Kansas is going to have an easier route to the end of the season. So yeah, I mean to kind of to that point, you know Kansas only has two games the rest of the way where they are less than an eighty five percent favorite according to Ken Palm. <laughs> um, so you know they're a ninety four percent favorite over Iowa State, ninety four percent over Oklahoma State, eighty six over Kansas State, and ninety five over TCU. Baylor on the other hand 
you know, only has two games or only has one game where they are at least an 80% favorite. And that's against Kansas state. You know, they're 77 against TCU, 76 against Texas tech, um, 64 against Oklahoma, 53 against Kansas and 46 against West Virginia. So they're expected to lose that last game against West Virginia. So they definitely have the much tougher end of season schedule overall. Um, You know, I, I still think that there's a very good chance that, Kansas and Baylor do not drop any games outside of each other for the rest of the year. Um, Agreed. Agreed. But, but really it's kind of, it comes down to that final game at the end of the year, you know, where if Kansas can get this one against Baylor on Saturday, you know, and everyone else wins all out, then I, I would feel a whole lot better being Kansas going into Texas tech than being Baylor going into West Virginia. And it's been fun. Um, Look forward to doing this again next week after the big game between Kansas and Baylor. I know you will be locked in, eyes glued to the TV for every single second of that one. Yeah, uh, hopefully I survive that game and we actually get to talk next week. <laughs> well, so Andy might be back next week. He might not. We don't know for sure. We'll find out uh, eventually. So, Andy, appreciate it as always. Uh, with that said, do us a favor. Go follow the show on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E, and the number 12 word podcast. Leave us a rating and review. Have you listen to the show. Uh, and we are going to get to our softball interview. Guys, I really enjoyed this one. So uh, with that said, let's get to it. Very excited to be joined by Chris Plank, the play-by-play guy. For the OU softball team, Chris, welcome to the Ten Twelve, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys uh, not just having me on, but talking a little Sooner softball, a little Big Twelve softball. Good start for the conference. Absolutely, I love covering all sports in the Big Twelve. So, of course, softball season is underway. Uh, obviously, everybody's wrapped up their second weekend this weekend. And as as someone who covers Oklahoma, I think we should start with the Sooners as. They are generally the best team in the conference. Let's just let's just all be honest about it. Uh, OU at eight and one so far through through two weekends of play. What has been uh, what's been your impression of the Sooners up to this point? Well, they're they're replacing a lot of the veterans. I think is the best way to put it. You know, you graduate a senior class that had your starting second baseman. You know, for the most part, your starting first baseman, your anchor at third, and Sid Romero starting left fielder I mean they they graduated a lot and you know you add to the mix that a person that had been in the program for three seasons in Mariah Lopez ends up transferring to to Arizona so <laughs> there is there is a lot of new to truly understand with this Sooner softball team so and in that new there's a lot of unknown right you know how will these freshmen end up stepping up how will players that have been in role spots, you know, role players over the last couple of years, and then they're thrust into a starring role. How will they react? And then I think, you know, more importantly, how do you deal with early season adversity? I think if you look across this sport, if you look across college softball to start the 2020 season, uh, it's been upset city. You know, there's been, um, there's been shocks. There's been surprises. You know, I think the last thing you want to be anymore is the number one team in the country. So it's just, (laughs) It's it's been a wild start to the season, and you know Oklahoma. In addition to kind of the surprise loss to Long Beach State, they've dealt with a lot of injuries. You know, Nicole Mendez, who's a co-captain, hasn't even stepped on the field yet this year because she's got a, a torn ACL that she's been healing from, and she's coming along great. 
uh, Riley Boone, one of their freshmen who started in the center field and looked to have a great start to the season, banged up her knee whenever she was in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, on a sensational catch in center field. G. Juarez, the ace of this staff, just uh, dealing with what is kind of an unknown, undisclosed, I guess, I guess you could say, kind of issue uh, with her left arm that, that has cost her. You know, she pitched on Saturday, I think it was, and went two-thirds of an inning, and that was it. So um, it's, it's, it's been a, a real interesting start with so much new for the Sooners and then obviously so much unknown with the injuries, but then also, you know, we do our pregame coaching show with Patty Gasso, and she always talks about just the uh, the excitement and the anticipation to see how this team is going to respond. You know, she's always excited to kind of see what their what their response is going to be, how they handle these adverse situations early. So, yeah, I'm a I, I know that people will see the record and they'll see eight and one, and obviously it's a great start to the season. Um, but it's it's kind of incredible to see that they're sitting here at eight and one based on everything that they've gone through so far. You mentioned that Long Beach State upset, and I want to I want to talk to you about that. It was such a shocking upset. Not so much that they lost. I mean that that is not a team that Oklahoma typically loses to. But giving up four runs at the bottom of the seventh to be upset in that way, it's one game. It's early in the season. But is there is there anything that you can take away from that game as as a legitimate concern moving forward? No, I don't think so. I think the thing that I take away from it is Long Beach State is pretty good, and you know the Sooners. I think the final score was like ten to three when they played them in Puerto Vallarta, but you know that score was really deceiving. Uh, Long Beach State had the bases loaded in the bottom of the sixth inning with a chance to to tie the game or take the lead. Shannon Sell got a strikeout, and the Sooners put four runs on the board in the top of the seventh. So it made that margin the first time they met in Puerto Vallarta a little bit, a little bit more, I guess you could say, massive than it actually was. So Long Beach State's a good softball team, and I mean they they pushed they pushed Arizona to the wire. You know they lost them two to one. Now, but with all that said, Oklahoma was fourteen and one heading into that game historically against Long Beach State. So. I'm not trying to build them up to be a powerhouse. What I did learn is that Shannon Sale is human because she had not looked human so far this season. She had been their best pitcher by far. Uh, and then number two, you know, it's um, with a young team, it's a it's a razor thin line between being being a potential great team and being pretty good. And they walked a couple batters in the in the seventh. They they made some defensive mistakes and they ended up paying for it. So. Yeah, that's a, that was a gut punch. That was a tough loss. But I'll tell you what impressed me is the way they bounced back. You know, they played Arizona. That's one of the largest crowds I've ever seen for a home softball game, and that place was rocking. And they went out there with a true freshman, a true freshman on the cir- in the circle, and um, in I think, what, nine in the third innings they got from freshmen in the circle. And they were able to shut down that high-powered offense. So, you know, it's, it's frustrating to see that loss because, I mean, obviously you, you'd like to be sitting at 10-0 and 0 where Texas is right now. But, you know, bottom line, this is, um, it's just, this is still a really good softball team. They showed a lot of resolve. So let's talk about Texas since you mentioned them. Obviously 10-0. and 0. And, and let's be honest, it's some impressive wins. You've got five wins in five innings. Like they're, they're getting out there and putting some teams away. Just how good is this Texas squad? I mean, Texas is always a, a solid softball program, but this is a, an impressive start to the season so far for Long Beach. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, it, it, uh, based on 
comparisons. I mean, this is being shot out of the cannon. And if, if someone wants to question, well, it was Colorado State, it was Wichita State, it was Lamar. You know, they turned around in that Puerto Vallarta Classic. They played a really good Utah team and beat them three to two. And then they one ruled Tennessee. I mean, this is a nationally ranked Tennessee team. And I know they're dealing with a few injuries, but they absolutely smoked them. And, you know, here's the thing about Texas is it's, it's year two of Mike White. And he's starting to get a few more. Well, it's not about getting a few more of his players in there. It's about understanding those expectations. I mean, uh, Courtney Day comes in and she's been fantastic. You know, she's uh, she's only started one game, but she had 11 strikeouts in that game. The, you, you have Miranda Ellis, you have Shaylin O'Leary, and they, they've got a true staff, I think, right now. Now, I haven't had a chance to lay my eyes on them a ton outside of just, you know, some scouting videos. But if you just – if you look at what they're doing in the in the batter spots, I mean, Tuesday, Damar goes – is uh, gosh, she's she's hit the ball well so far this season. Um, I know she hasn't started a game yet, but Miranda Ellis not only doing it in the circle, but I think Miranda Ellis is a leading hitter right now in the Big Twelve. You know, Caitlin Washington is always a problem. I think Janae Jefferson is one of the biggest difference makers in the Big Twelve when it comes to what she can do in the batter's box. So they're loaded. I mean, this is a really good Texas team, and it shows and where the nation is ranking them right now. And then, you know, I, I think just a brilliant schedule. You kind of you kind of ease into it. You have some teams that you're better than in Wichita State and in Maryland and in Lamar. And then when you get that confidence going, you ratchet it up with the Puerto Vallarta Round 2 College Challenge. And I'll tell you what, you know, they're going to they're gonna win, what, two, three, four more games this weekend. And I think all eyes for Texas will be on February 27th. You know, they travel out to Los Angeles to take on UCLA, who I think is going to be the number one team in the country by the time the new rankings drop. And, you know, that's going to be a huge stretch. Well, heck, you, you can go back even to that Tuesday before. They play Louisiana Lafayette in a doubleheader. The Raging Cajuns are really good. Then they travel out to play UCLA, and then they play in the Judy Garman Classic in Fullerton, and they're going to have a matchup with Washington and Michigan during that weekend. So they'll roll this weekend, but, man, I cannot wait to see Mike White's team go up against UCLA and Washington. And, again, a guy from Oregon, he knows a thing or two about Pac-12 softball. So the other – kind of the, the program on the rise to me in the Big 12 is Oklahoma State. They've started the season with a nice 6-3 and three record, but they – I mean, looking at the schedule that they've gone through so far, they haven't made it easy on themselves. They've had to face Florida twice, Minnesota, Missouri, Alabama, Virginia Tech – Obviously, they they lost a lot of very key pieces from last year's team, who made a, a fantastic run all the way to Oklahoma City. What has been your opinion of, of OSU so far and, and the job that they've done? I am um, I'm a big fan of Kenny Gajewski. I, I think that uh, he's gonna well he's he's put this team back on the map. And you you lose Samantha Shaw. I mean that's that's tough. And they they haven't slowed down. You know they they've they've come out and I mean just. You mentioned it in the teams that they play. I, I, that's that's one great thing about this sport, not to, to get off on a, a beaten path or anything, but they have – this this sport, you're playing the best. You know, there's, there's not a lot of times whenever you're going to a series and you're not at least matching up against one ranked team. But, I mean, I, I don't know what the RPI and – I, and I know it hasn't been thrown out there yet, but when you think about strength of schedule in this league – you know, they opened up with two games against LSU. Um, South Florida's a very good team. 
you know, this weekend, what they end up playing? Three ranked teams. They have their um, they have their exhibition today with Team USA. So I, I'm telling you what, man, Kenny Gajewski did not mess around with his schedule, and I know that there's you know a couple losses in there. You look at a team right now at six and three, but they're really good. I mean, it, I, that win over Alabama is is that's big time, and to do it on that national stage, you know, you're you're seeing Sydney uh, Sydney Pennington slide right in and be really good over at third base right now for him. And, you know, they've, they've, they've got some, some arms in whatever Lee has been able to bring for him. So I'm, I mean, listen, as this season progresses, teams are going to have to deal with injuries. Their staffs are going to be challenged. You're going to have to see players step up, but what Kenny Gajewski has built at Oklahoma state and how he's challenged that team so far this season. I mean, we're talking about games that you're looking forward to. How about February 29th? You know, Oklahoma State's going to host Oregon. Missy Lombardi bringing Oregon to town, back to Oklahoma. Her first game as the Oregon coach in Oklahoma. So, I love it, man. I think this is going to be a fun one. I can't wait. Um, but I also realize that it's still a process. You know, it, I, I hope that in both both softball-playing schools in Oklahoma that something is done for them facility-wise. Both of them deserve the new facility that's been laid out for Oklahoma and I, and I think Kenny Gajewski in, in Oklahoma State, now that they've got baseball taken care of, you know, it's, it's time to look at softball. But, I mean, that's, that's a lot about the future, but I'm really impressed with what he's done. And you bring John Bartfeld in, and you bring in a guy who was a head coach that kind of just maybe more than anything else kind of felt like he needed to, to get back to his roots and work with pitchers a little bit. You bring him in, that's a huge addition to this staff, and I think you're seeing the, this team reap the benefits of that here early in the season. You know, looking at the standings so far, there's one that kind of surprises me. Baylor sitting at a and two, eight and two. Now, I, I'll be I'll be fair to say they've played a couple of good teams so far, but I wouldn't say their schedule has been a a murderer's row at this point. But a couple of games with Prairie View, A and M, some Grand Canyon. But you know, I, record is what it is, and and like I said, they've played a couple of solid teams. What's been your opinion of Baylor so far this season? Well, I mean, consistently, they're going to be one of the best teams in college softball if they're healthy. You know, last year, to me, was truly the anomaly. Anomaly, excuse me. You know, Gia Radoni goes down with the ACL injury, and they're just, I mean, they're lost. And, and it was, I mean, it was, you go back and look what Glenn Moore went through last season, man. It was a myriad of different injury situations that he had to deal with. And, you know, you lose your ace, and that's going to be a big-time problem. But, you know, Radoni's back 100%. They've got a little depth there. And Madison Lindsay, you know, and Glenn Moore, what just, uh, what did he just pick up? Win number, career win number 900 the other day. So I, uh, I'm not surprised to see them back. You know, this was a team that was in the College World Series, what, three seasons ago. Um, it's, a, it's a really, really strong program. And, you know, Gettleman Stadium has uh, added a new video board this year, and that's a pretty big deal. Um, Glenn Moore's a good coach. So they've, you know, it's it's not about, hey, where did they, in, in my opinion, in my opinion, not about, oh, my gosh, what are they doing here? It's more, man, what happened last year? Because when you would talk about the postseason for the Big 12, it would be Oklahoma, it would be Texas, and it would be Baylor. And those were the three that you knew were going to the postseason. Now, Kenny Gajewski has Oklahoma State where they're going regularly. You look what Adrian Gregory's done at Texas Tech. They're going regular, regularly. I think Jamie Pinkerton's going to get things turned around at Iowa State. He's already in the process of doing that. But last year with Baylor not getting there, that was the anomaly to me. So they're going to beat some good teams this year. You know, they, they, they usually have a schedule early on where they're able to get a few dubs. And uh, 
listen, that, that was a big win for them to start the season against Auburn and to see Giordani pitch the way that she did. So they're off to a good start, and I'm telling you what, that's going to be that's going to be a problem for teams that have to go down to Waco this season, man. I've been down there a couple of times. That's a great atmosphere for college softball. So let's let's touch on Texas Tech just real quick. Obviously, they've they've had a nice start as well. Um, as you said, this is a program that's that's kind of trying to get things turned around. Seven and three so far this year. Is this a Texas Tech team you think can can contend for making the postseason? Or because the, the, that's the thing with the Big Twelve to me is. It's been so top-heavy. It feels like the top teams are able to, and, and they just beat up on the bottom of the conference so much because they're so good. It's hard to, you know, three or four teams, but three teams are going to go probably go, maybe four, but if you're looking at five and six, that's just, just kind of out of it. So can Texas Tech actually challenge for a spot in the postseason this year? Sure. I mean, this was a team that was right on the cusp of a potential super regional berth last year. I, I think right now, I mean, and again, it's we just wrapped up week two. I think if you're a Big 12 fan, and obviously if you're listening to the 10-12 podcast, you absolutely are a Big 12 fan. <laughs> um, or one of my family members, hi, Mom. Here's, <laughs> here, here's the deal. Um, you're going to get three, right? You're going to get Oklahoma. You're going to get Texas. You're going to get Oklahoma State, unless they have injury situations like Baylor. Tech is, you know, they, they're not messing around. They're playing a really good schedule this year. I mean, let's face it. They went to the seventh inning with, with a lead over Washington today, the number one team in the country. And I know you look at that final score and you think, what? They lost 11 to five, but the bottom just fell out for them. I, I'll, I'll say this for Texas Tech, and, and I don't know if this is a little bit too inside the game for uh, for talking softball, but if, if they can continue – to develop their staff they've got a chance it's just i that's the one thing to me whenever i've watched texas tech over the last couple of years that i just feel like is still on the verge of coming together and aaron edmondson is is a junior she has had a, a really nice i guess you could say start to her career and she took a major leap last season i mean a big time leap last season but you know, is is she capable now of being able to handle the rigors of, you know, being the ace now that everyone in the Big 12 has seen you a couple of times? You know, how do you adjust? How does the how does the approach change? And it's it's tough. It's tough to be a pitcher in this conference because it's only seven teams. You got six opponents. So, you know, you're going to see them a lot. There, there's no, you know, there's 12 teams here. So you don't have to worry about playing one team for a couple of years. It's it's not there's 14 teams. I mean, there's seven. You're going to play everyone every single year. So uh, I, I think in trying to to figure out what their pitching staff looks like is going to be a big deal for Texas Tech this year. I mean, that's that's a monster win over Georgia. I mean, that is just – that's a big-time win over Georgia. And in that game, you know, Aaron Edmondson came out of the bullpen and was fantastic. But, you know, Gigi Wall was really good uh, in the circle for Tech. So, you know, they can continue to develop Wall, who's a, who's a transfer from Marlowe. Then look out. I mean, they can really have a – another big time addition in this in this circle for Texas Tech and and Walls coming off a medical record as well too. So this this is going to be an interesting team from a pitching perspective to kind of see how they develop. Chris just to, to kind of wrap this up today, you had mentioned Texas versus UCLA, Oklahoma State getting Oregon to come to Stillwater. What are some other games on the schedule non-conference wise that you've got your eye on for the Big 12 this year? Well, I mean, just kind of scroll down what Texas has. They've got a rematch in Tuscaloosa against Alabama in the second week in March. You know, they're going to go play in what I think is, 
oh gosh, I think it's like the T T Town Showdown or something like that. And they play Alabama twice. I mean, that's going to be huge. And then get this. It, they go straight from playing in Tuscaloosa against Alabama. And then five days later, they're in Norman to open up Big 12 play against Oklahoma. I mean, how, how huge is that? Uh, you, you know, you mentioned Baylor hasn't really been tested too much so far this season. And you're absolutely right. But I'm really intrigued whenever they go to Fayetteville, you know, in their final non-conference. Well, it's not their final non-conference tilt. Um, in one of their later games here in the month of February, I think it's not next week but the following week, they're going to play Florida State twice. I mean, that's, that's big time for Baylor. And then they've got a series in Gainesville right before they start Big 12 plays. So and they're going to take on Florida three times. And, listen, I, I brought up with, with what Oklahoma State has done schedule-wise and how – I mean, let's face it, they're not messing around. There's going to be a couple of games on Oklahoma State's slate that are going to, that are going to be tough for them. I mean, you even probably look at it, and it, it might end up being a, a few L's. I mean, they've, obviously we can get carried away here and start talking about Big 12 play, but, I mean, we'll have plenty of time for that on the podcast, I'm sure, down the road. But, you know, Oklahoma State, much like Oklahoma, much like we just brought up with Texas – They've really scheduled up in the non-conference. You know, they're going to play Georgia again in a couple of weeks. They're going to have a, a showdown again with Utah, who they just played. We mentioned the Oregon game. But as part of that, that Oregon series, when they're, and it's not even a series, they're playing a month, they're going to have to play Louisville two times. And Louisville has been kind of looming around the rankings. So, yeah, this, this league, man, they have not messed around with their scheduling so far. And then, you know, I'm trying not to be homeristic here and just talk about the Sooners <laughs> nonstop. But next Saturday night, Oklahoma plays Washington. And then next Friday, for the true Big 12 connoisseurs, Oklahoma has Nebraska and Texas A&M back-to-back. You know, how nostalgic will that be? Ooh. So, yeah, I just – there's that's what I love about this sport, man, is is that – well, A, it's fast. It's usually two hours. That's fantastic. But, but, but B, everyone plays everyone. And not just in this conference, but nationally, you know – Oklahoma went to Arizona this weekend and played the Wildcats. You know, it's just it, – it's fantastic how you don't really see a lot of teams that don't schedule up in the non-conference, that don't play big-time opponents. And it's, uh, it's one of the really great things about this sport in general. And then, of course, the approach these conference teams take for the Big 12. Chris Plank, you hear his voice if you uh, pay attention to Oklahoma softball. Chris, this has been fantastic. Yes, we will have you on again if you if you are interested to continue to talk softball because this is it's fun. And when and when you're when you know you not only have a good conference but you have some of the best teams in the country in your conference, like it's it's worth paying attention to. These girls are good. Hey, anyway. we're, we're playing some of the best softball in the country. Yeah. I mean, if if you we had two teams go to the World Series last year. You know, and, and Oklahoma ends up in the in the World Series championship series. You know, the Sooners won two titles, but they've been, what, four straight seasons. So um, Baylor was in there one season with them as well, too. I, I really think this Texas team has the opportunity to put themselves in position to host a Super Regional, which means they could be knocking on the door. So, man, get on board now. It's going to be a fun season for softball in this conference. Uh, and look, you know, one of the benefits of the ESPN Plus deal, I know it's not the best service all the time. I know it can be kind of flaky, but getting softball games on there, just another easy opportunity to, to be able to watch the sport for the Big 12. And I, I'm happy about that. I am. Any opportunity to see that and baseball and other things that are harder to find unless you, you know, go to a YouTube or pay for this other, it's a nice thing to have access to. It's absolutely 
fantastic for Diamond Sports. Could not agree more. Chris, you have been awesome. We will have you on again. Uh, for everybody who wants to check out you, uh, outside of just checking out the play-by-play, is, the, is there a way they can do so? I live on Twitter, at Plank Show. And uh, much like my man Ari Timken, I get an opportunity to hang out regularly on Big 12 Today on Sirius XM Channel 375 with Gabe Eichert in the afternoon. So, yeah, man, there's a, I'm usually somewhere with a microphone yelling and screaming about things <laughs> uh, in this conference, so it's always fun. Once again, Chris, really appreciate your time. Thanks, man. Podcast Network.